And we'll read again those, the verses, the 13 verses of the chapter, but just bring your attention if you weren't here this morning. We're examining verses 1 to 8, uh, 1 to 8 of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, and we'll read all 13 verses together. So hear the word of the living God. In the air the king Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips. And thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go, and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not And see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert and be healed. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate. And the Lord have removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. But yet in it shall be a tenth, and it shall return, and shall be eaten, as a tile tree and as an oak, whose substance is in them when they cast their leaves, so the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word to our every heart this evening. Let us pray together as we come before the Lord and before the preaching of the word of God. We thank Thee, O Lord, that once again we have heard Thy speaking voice in the Scriptures of Truth. In a world full of spiritual darkness and lies of all sorts, 
we give thee humble thanks that thou hast given us the truth and thy word is truth and thy son is the truth and the gospel is true Lord and we we pray that more of the word of truth would enter into our hearts and minds today and that it would have that changing that sanctifying work within us that we do not come week in and week out and do not change as if we resist thy work and yet Lord thy word thy word is sharper than any two-edged sword that man has ever created it is indeed a spiritual sword to enter in to the soul Lord will thou draw thy word fully out of his sheath tonight and will it plunge it deep into every heart cut away the dross and the cancer and the pride and the sin and grant new life in Jesus Christ grant more life in him that the old man of the flesh will be mortified by that precious sword and that we would be healed that we would look unto Jesus and know him more and know him better and Lord maybe even for the first time to know him as the author and the finisher of our faith Lord have mercy we pray or give help O Lord with, as we continue with this message Lord that that word would go forth and do all that thou would have it to do and may it bring great glory to thy name we pray thee in the name of Jesus Amen and for those who weren't with us uh, this morning we were introducing this word and examining it and had hoped to finish it this morning but as we got to the end of our time we were only halfway through so it very naturally lent itself to a, a two-parter uh, this evening uh, to continue our examination of Isaiah and chapter 6 and those eight verses and just very briefly just to give catch up to those who were not here this morning what we see in Isaiah 6 is we see the prophet Isaiah he comes into the temple and it's not just a normal day in the temple very probably on the on the Jewish Sabbath day but that's that's only a maybe but there he is he goes in uh, into the temple and he has a fresh vision of the Lord now it may be and we mentioned this it may be his conversion although it be chapter 6 it may be the conversion as well as the call it's certainly the call of Isaiah and it's possibly also the conversion of Isaiah and it comes in now chapter 6 does that make any difference to the previous five chapters not at all but we're now seeing something of his meeting with God and we consider those many figures throughout the centuries that we meet in the Old Testament the false prophets in the New Testament in the time of the Reformation we thought of and those who are on uh, many different television sets these days who all claim to have uh, amazing supernatural experiences with, with God every single day like you and I we have a cup of coffee or we'll have a piece of toast so that they have conversations uh, on personal level with the Lord Jesus Christ and they they, they seem to have visions and dreams and 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 are taken up themselves into heaven and yet when they meet God they're not cut to the quick they don't collapse on the ground as dead they don't 
feel the holiness of God coming upon them and then feel so deeply their own corruption and sin as the prophet Isaiah did. Now what happened to the prophet Isaiah is true and therefore it suggests to me that everything that the other people are mentioning is untrue, that they say happens is, is untrue. It's a lie. They have not had a meeting uh, with the one true and living God. Paul Washer has a, a, an illustration that he often uses when he speaks of this and speaks of people who have uh, a meeting with God. And I don't want to give the whole story, but, but the story is very simply put, is that somebody comes in late to the meeting, he comes in, he's the preacher, he's been invited to preach somewhere, and he comes back, he comes in, he's 20 minutes late, and he really apologizes, and they said, what happened? He said, I was run over by a, by, by a truck. And there he is, and his suit's looking fine, and his tie's still in the middle, and there's not a scratch upon him. So how can it be that he's had, uh, that he's had a, a, a meeting with a semi-truck on the highway and he's unscathed? And the, and the point of that illustration, as Paul Washer would say, is how can you say that you've had a meeting with the one true and living God, with the Holy One of Israel, and it's made no difference to your life? No change to the way you think and you talk and you deal with other people. And this is a very good and strong and clear illustration. It's very suitable to what we're thinking of. And what we're seeing here today when we consider Isaiah the prophet. He had a meeting with God and he was, in a way he was crushed and he was changed. And so the title of the message is A Fresh Vision of the Lord. A fresh vision of the Lord. And we saw firstly uh, the holy eternal king as the king of heaven and earth reveals himself and reveals himself in, in, in much of his glory. So much so that the seraphims, those angelic creatures who are accompanying him in, in revealing himself to Isaiah, that they cannot stop singing holy, holy, holy. And we considered what something, and of course only scratched the surface of something, of the holiness of God, that that holiness that God has is not a holiness that the angels have. And they are the holy angels. They are pure. They have not fallen. They have not sinned. They do not have a dark thought in their heart. They just think, I want to worship Jehovah. I want to obey Him all day, every day. And they do. There is no sin, no darkness to be found in them, and yet they are overcome by the holiness of God. The pure, white, hot holiness of the living God. And they can't even bear to look upon it. With two sets of wings, they cover their heads as if to protect themselves from the glare, the bright glare of the holiness of Jehovah. And then the Lord... is fearfully worshipped by them. And they know God better than we do. They know God better than we do in the sense of, a, of a being in His constant presence. Knowing the words that He speaks, they know how he, 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 he lives and who He is in many ways better than we do. But believer, they do not know the sweetness of His grace and love like we do. And we know that only in a small amount while we are here on earth. But we're looking at the holiness of God this evening. 
those that live in the presence of God and serve him continually. And they can't help but sing holy or cry out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, Jehovah of armies. He has armies of angels, no doubt, who also keep on calling out, holy, holy, holy. And the sound of that exaltive word, the sound of that glorious worship that comes forth from the mouths of the seraphims is so great, it's so loud that it causes the very, the very posts of the door to the temple building itself to shake in their sockets. It gives us an idea of not only the immenseness of these seraphic beings, but the immenseness of their worship when they consider the pure holiness of God. We considered a few other things uh, concerning this, this wonderful holiness of God, but we applied it. Uh, we considered very quickly that holiness is in many ways at the very core of who God is. Where we can say God is love and we speak aright because that's what the Bible re- reveals to us. God is love, God is life, God is light. These are all uh, truths. And yet we can put before all three of those holy. God's love is a holy love. His light is a holy light. It's, it's so pure. The life that he lives is a holy life. The life that he offers to sinners is also a holy life. So holiness, and how is holiness expressed? I would say the language of holiness in many ways is God's righteousness. The holiness of the righteousness of God, that his righteousness is, is so pure and so perfect that he judges perfectly all matters and all things. And therefore, where we lack wisdom and we lack wisdom, then we go to him whose wisdom is a righteous and a holy wisdom to have help in times of need that we would know what we are to do. But that righteousness is a terrifying righteousness. So terrifying that the, the scriptures tell us once in the Old and once in the New Testament that the Lord thy God is a consuming fire. The fire of that holiness, the fire of his righteousness. And consider that if we are to understand something of the righteousness of God towards sin and towards uh, unrighteousness, then that should fill us with a holy and righteous fear. And not the fear of the world, not the anxiety of the unsaved sinner fleeing for God and, and enjoying their sin, but the pure fear of God that leads us to, to worship him aright. Something that we see maybe with the seraphim, but certainly what we see elsewhere in the scriptures, that we would serve him, that we would worship him and obey him and love him aright. Because we fear him purely. So that was something of the holy eternal king we saw. Secondly, we started uh, looking from verse 5 at the unholy mortal man. The unholy mortal man. And so then we just see then, as as I just mentioned in the introduction then, of all those hyper-spiritual, let's just call them what they are, liars... Deceivers who would say that they've had a meeting with God, that Jesus appeared to them in their bedroom last night, and all they do is just sit there and chat away, and it has no effect upon them. But when a man or a woman 
has a true and direct meeting with God. And God, as it were, reveals his holiness to him. That there is a a great difference in the experience of that person. Because Isaiah says, I am undone. We've already looked at that, um, that point that Isaiah says, and as a prophet, we mentioned that, that as a prophet, he's used to going out and saying, woe is unto the king of Assyria. Woe is unto the king of Egypt. Woe is unto the king of the Philistines. And coming out with a, a, a judgment, a warning, and quite often a, a merciful uh, aspect to that warning as well but the woe is out there because you must despair which is that understanding of woe despair is unto you because you have sinned against God and you have not listened to his prophets and so God comes again and, and deals with them as Christ said unto the Pharisees woe unto you Pharisees hypocrites again despair you self-righteous legalists despair as Christ speaks to you you tithe the mint and the anise and the dill and yet the weightier matters of the law you leave behind righteousness oh that brings us back to where we are to this evening the righteousness of God if they had feared God they would not have made a false religion out of true religion but Isaiah who is a Jew a God-fearing Jew, a commandment-obeying Jew, as much as a sinner can do these things. What is his reaction when he sees the God of heaven and earth? He sees him appear before him. Is to call out woe upon himself. Woe is me. Despair and grief are mine. Because as he sees the holiness of God, he perceives very clearly the unholiness of his being. People often say, God knows my heart. And with the scriptures, and with Jeremiah 17 and verse 9, and with Isaiah 6, I I would say, yes, woe is me. That God does know my heart. And that's not a good thing. That is not a good thing at all. I understand what is meant. He knows my motivations. But even they are not pure. So what did we see then this morning as we come... So now the second part of this message, that as Isaiah does come into the actual holy presence of God, he sees very clearly the contrast. As he sees real holiness, he perceives his own unholiness. He feels his guilt. He knows something of his disobedience. He knows that he is undone. He is undone. There is nothing in him, there is nothing that, can, that he can speak of to the Lord. He is, he's undone, he's cut off, as is literally in the, in the Hebrew. Woe is me, despair is mine, I am cut off as I come into the presence of God. So he's undone, but we see that he also goes on to say that he's unclean. He's unclean. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So the unholiness of Isaiah and of the people of God 
is deep, it's clear, it's come to the fore right now, but specifically he says it's an uncleanness of the lips. A people with unclean lips, they sin with their lips. So this people, are, they, they come close to me with their lips, yet their hearts are far from me. So what do we see there? With those lips there is a lying religious hypocrisy to be found. They're religious hypocrites. They bring empty worship. And because it's empty worship, it is a blasphemous worship. And even amongst each other, as we understand, uh, as, as we read in the scriptures, as we read in Proverbs, uh, how the Lord hates what he sees amongst his people, and he talks about tattletales. The people who go up and down the land, spreading slander and gossip about each other, and the Lord hates it. It is an abomination to him. So in that religious way and in that societal way, they are a people of unclean lips, making promises that they do not keep. Slandering each other. We're reminded then that the tongue is a terrible tool for sin, can be. A terrible tool for sin. Even in the Christian, which is why James makes that very clear. In James 3 and verse 5, and he says, you know, the, the, the wicked, uh, slanderous things said about another person is terrible. That, 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 that tongue is a terrible thing. You do realize that once things have been said, you can never unsay them. The stain has gone out, the word has gone out. And you see that on the media and, and the internet and in social media, that somebody said something 15 years ago and it's been recorded. And it comes back to haunt them. But of course the Lord, the Lord has books. The Lord records all things that we've ever done. And he knows the uncleanness of our lips. He knows that they can be filthy with sin and they can drip with hate. I want to turn to James 3 with me. James 3 verses 5 to 10. Because James makes it very clear. There is none that are not guilty of this. The youngest child, when they're able to speak, will turn round and speak mean things against their friend or their brother and sister. And of course the cliché of the old gossiping woman. Men gossip as well. But the old cliché of the old gossiping woman. So from cradle to grave almost. We slander, we gossip because we betray who our spiritual father is. James 3 verse 5 Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, among our parts of our bodies, that it defileth the whole body. And set it on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beasts, for every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men which are made after the similitude, the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and 
cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. And this is what we see. This is what we see is that Isaiah is convicted of his sinful lips. He's conscious of the sinfulness in the whole of this Jewish society that he's in. He knows that he is just one of many that sin, that he is even gone with the crowd to do wickedness. They have gossiped, he gossips. He hasn't set himself apart. He hasn't hasn't taken the part of the Lord in this. He's just gone with the multitude unto wickedness. But why is it this? It's because he has had a fresh vision of the king. For mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. May it please the Lord to convict our consciences. And to cleanse our tongues. Because as we've just read, no man can tame the tongue, but the grace of God and the power of his spirit can. But we must repent of it. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. And what about those of you who've never even had a glimpse of Christ? You've heard of the name of Jesus Christ. You may have read the name Jesus Christ in the Bible. I'm not saying you've never had a vision. I'm not speaking of a vision of the Lord in this way. But maybe you've never had a glimpse of Jesus Christ, of who he is and who you are. As you've read the scriptures, you've come under the preaching of the word and you've been convicted that the spirit of Christ is working in your your conscience and you feel pricked. Yet it is not as good as you thought. As the, as the holy Jesus is preached about, you feel your unholiness. And that's why you have never been spiritually broken before God. You have never fallen upon your knees. You have never repented. You have never called upon the name of the Lord. But we see here that he does... He confesses his sin. Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. Woe unto me, a sinner, before the holiness of God. And even before the preaching of the word of God and with the reading of the word of God. You're in the presence of the Lord now. We don't see him in this way. And yet he's still high and exalted, high and lifted up. And the legions of seraphim and cherubim and angels are all still calling out the glories of God and his holiness. You need to have that right and repentant attitude that Isaiah does when he meets with God. And however he meets with God. Because when you do so, notice what then happens. He doesn't meet with God when he's confessed his sin, when he's repenting, when he's admitting that he is a sinner before the holy God. He's not trying to hide his sin. He's exposing his sin. He's repenting of it. This is terrible. And what does that call down from heaven upon him? Judgment? No. Mercy. 
mercy. This is the terrible thing that people who are in their sins and they've, they've been under the preaching, they've, they've felt something of the work of God and, and yet they will resist. They will work against it. They will hide it. But you cannot hide your sin. Oh, you can hide your sin uh, from the minister, you can hide your sin from the session, you can hide your sin from each other, but from God you cannot. You need to come clean with the Lord as, as Isaiah came clean. And as I said, then judgment is set aside because he has now made himself available for mercy, which brings us to our third and final point, the king's mercy extended. We have the holy eternal king, the unholy mortal man, and then finally the king's mercy extended. And in verse 6, we read this, Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. I'd like to consider first that this seraph is continuing his worship. It seems very clear that, uh, that he's not necessarily calling out holy, holy anymore, that the other seraphim are doing this, but he is doing something different. Immediately, as it were, upon Isaiah's undeniable confession of sin that the angelic creatures, that as it were, heaven comes into into action. And this is not the initiative of the seraph because we know that the angelic beings, they wait upon God. They're waiting for God to tell them what to do and when to do it and how to do it and they will fulfill it to the letter. So it's not revealed here but we understand that that is the case. That the Lord has commanded this seraph what he needs to do to this repentant sinner. And although he, as I said, he may have stopped his, 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 his calling out of holy, 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 and yet by serving the Lord to the letter, his pure worship continues. His pure worship continues as he lives. I mean, not in a legalistic way, but he obeys willingly every word that the Lord says to him, And as we see the seraph approaching, as the seraph has gone uh, to get this coal from off the altar, and as he approaches Isaiah, let us, let us understand that this is the mercy of God that is approaching Isaiah through and in uh, the seraph, although he went to the altar first. And then we move on from the continuing worship to this cleansing coal that we see. This cleansing coal, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. He's in the temple, the actual temple, the temple built by Solomon. Isaiah is there and he sees this, this amazing vision. I mean, so much so that he sees, sees those uh, doorposts shaking in their sockets. Is all of that vision... Is, is it just that he's actually in the temple and there is, and there is great noise and sound that, but the people do not see what he sees and they do not hear what he sees and yet suddenly the temple sockets are shaking and the doors and the posts and there's something going on. That's not clear. But it's certainly very vivid and very true uh, for Isaiah. 
And yet we see that the elements of, of, of temple worship are there, including the altar. And he goes to the actual altar. In order to be merciful to him. To be gracious and merciful to a repentant sinner. Because what is God's desire to do with repentant sinners? Well, first of all, what is he to do with sinners? Well, he will, he will renew their will and cause them to call upon his name. And when they call upon his name, it is his desire to purge them and to clean them. And he has a reservoir of blood, a fountain of blood, ready to cleanse any that come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this blood is not blood that is applied to the physical body. It's blood that's applied to the soul to cleanse your innermost parts. Because that is where God desires righteousness and holiness in the innermost parts. He wants it in the outside as well. But it is God's desire to have a people and a holy people. And that's what he does individually. One by one as he saves, he also sanctifies he saves and he sanctifies. He saves, he sanctifies. And that's what we see here. What does, the, what does, the, what does verse 7 say about the work of the seraph? And seraph speaks to him, and he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, look, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. And how can that be so? How can, a, how can a red hot coal uh, from the fire, how can that purge sin? Well, it cannot. This purging and this cleansing is upon the basis of the blood of sacrifice. That's why he goes to the altar. It goes to the altar where the great immolation and the great burning of the sacrifice beasts takes place. And their blood, yeah, drips down onto those coals, but there is also blood that's sprinkled along the sides and the outside. And it, it's, it's, it's wiped upon the horns, the four horns of the corners of the altar. And it's poured out. It is, a, it is as it were, a great bloody mess around and on and in that altar. And every one of those sacrifices that were placed upon that altar... For the burning were a picture of Jesus Christ. A picture of the Lamb of God suffering the wrath. The wrath of God for his people. That they would be purged. That they would be cleansed. That their iniquity would be taken away. And not only is that a picture of Christ's sacrifice... But we see something of the Holy Ghost also. That the seraph, a picture of the Holy Ghost coming and applying that blood, applying that coal that has taken the wrath of God in and of itself. Why? So that you would be purged. So that you would be cleansed. So that you would be made justified in God's sight. So that God's wrath would be removed. And that would be peace between you and God. And what do we then see? Or what do we then understand? Isaiah is now, instead of being ruined by his own sin and his own brokenness, he is purged. He is spiritually healed. And no doubt this healing will go forth as it should. A spiritual healing should go forth into the members, go forth into the character, go through into the thoughts But 
because there is much purging that is needed. There is much iniquity that needs to be taken away. And we know that from our own life experience. Sinners need much healing and much reformation and much change. Because sinful people sin against other people. Broken people break other people. And we must have this sanctifying healing uh, by the way of repentance from sin and faith in the blood. But what a contrast we've had then when we consider these verses that we've looked at so far. We've seen God's fearful holiness displayed. A terrifying holiness of God. We've seen Isaiah's reaction to that in his, his, the fear of his own exposed unholiness. Exposed to himself and to his own conscience. Most especially exposed to us in the words of Scripture. But we see God's merciful dealing with him. Merciful dealing and, and the cleansing of Isaiah so that he too could be holy. That is his desire. That we would be holy. That's the story of mankind and the gospel in a nutshell. Mankind ruined by sin. But a holy God has the solution. And a holy God comes in the form of man taking on human flesh and becomes that blood that pays and that cleanses and that purifies from all wickedness. The continuing uh, worship we've seen, the cleansing call. And finally, thirdly, the response to God's call. In verse 8 we hear now the voice of the Lord. In all of these verses so far, we've heard the voice of the seraphim, we've heard the noise of the doorposts, we've heard the woes of the prophet. Again, we've heard then the, 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 um, the comforting words of the seraph that speak to Isaiah, but now the high point, the God of eternity speaks. But what we hear is the triune God speaking to himself the three persons of the Godhead are speaking also I heard verse 8 the voice of the Lord saying whom shall I send the one Godhead and who will go for us the three persons of the one Godhead then said I here am I send me and so let's see then the first thing that we notice after Isaiah's cleansing is that he's able to hear the voice of God. He's able. He's clearly not listening to his own thoughts in his own head. He's not listening to his own emotions. He's no longer concerned with the wickedness of himself. He's no longer consumed with the woe is me, because God has dealt with that. It's one thing that we look back in life, and we consider that, oh, if only I hadn't done that or said that. But thank God it's been purified and purged under the blood of Christ. But where you keep constantly thinking about sins that you've done in the past and you're harping on about it, you, you're so focused on these things that you can come to the conclusion, well, God could never heal me. God could never save me. God could never purify me, for my sins are too great. No, you should do as is done here. There must be a quick meeting between sinner and saviour a quick meeting 
Come straight to the Lord. Confess your sin and receive his solution for sin. So he's not listening anymore to his own thoughts or to his own anxieties, to his own woes, but he's now able to listen to God. It would appear to me that his spiritual healing, hearing, hearing had been affected by sin, that he was unable to hear, and that's right. We know what sin does. We see uh, later on, we're not looking in verses 9 to 13. Uh, very interesting, we may look at that some other point. But what does he say? This sinful people that remain unrepentant and have a a neck that is stiff against God, even though he would go out for 60 plus years and preach the gospel to them, what what would be the case? Would they listen? Lord who hath believed our report. For many, many years. But the Lord warns him here. He says, make the heart of this people fat. Make their ears heavy and shut their eyes. Lest they hear, see and understand and be converted and believe. The judgment of God over rebellious people. So that helps us understand, yes, sin not only blinded Isaiah, but it deafened him. He was unable to hear the word of God. And let us then just imagine that this Isaiah, the son of Amos, was, a, was a, good, a good Jew, that he went to the temple those three times in the year, that he went to his local synagogue every, every Jewish Sabbath, that he listened attently, but that sin was in the way. It sin stopped them hearing. It stopped them seeing. Therefore, it stopped them believing, as he should do. And what can we say? Then we know what his sin was. It was his lying and gossiping tongue had deafened him to God's word. But now, but now he could hear the word of God, the voice of God clearly in his own ears. And he could therefore respond to the Lord's call. He could respond that the Lord had done all this. The Lord had made him willing to do his will. As he hears the three persons of the Godhead speaking about this, 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 this plan to spread the gospel throughout Israel, and yet there's judgment in there because they will not believe. And yet it doesn't stop the Lord preaching it, or having it preached. But Psalm 110 and verse 3a says this, Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power in the beauties of holiness. Couldn't find a more apt, uh, descriptive and parallel passage. (coughs) The Lord has made Isaiah willing in the day of his convicting and his sanctifying and power. And maybe you can say as as you're hearing this and you're listening, you say, well, maybe the sins of my lips are preventing me from hearing the Lord's voice clearly. When I hear the preaching of the word, it doesn't come into my ears. And it certainly, therefore, does not come into my understanding or my heart. That that word is not coming in. Maybe it is that there is unconfessed sin, and maybe specifically of the lips, but whatever, that's preventing you from hearing not only the word of God to your soul, but the call of God upon your life. (coughs) 
And so as we close, maybe you too, like Isaiah, need, and who doesn't, need a fresh vision of the Lord. As we walk with the Lord and we know that the Lord describes himself and his relationship with us in so many ways, Lord, King, Master, that means teacher, friend, on so many levels, Father, so many ways that the Lord describes his affections and his relationship to us. And so it's very easy when we think that Jesus is my friend, and he is, he's your best friend ever. If he is your friend, and if not, he's your worst enemy ever. But in Christ and in the gospel, that he is your best friend, but he is also your Lord. He is also your King. He is also your creator and your sustainer. He is high and lifted up upon this throne. And he is to be feared. That we can't forget when we consider Jesus Christ and Jesus of Nazareth with the wounds in his hands and in his side and in his feet. And when we hear his words that are, that are meek and humble, that we begin to then despise him in the, in not, in the sense that we, we don't look down upon him, but we don't look up to him as we should. We're so used to considering that he is my friend and I, and I walk with him and, and I talk with him and he's, he's, he's walking with me and often he carries me. And this is all true and it is all sweet truth. But not forgetting also that this son, eternal son of God that became man who has condescended himself to come and become as one of us except without sin is also the eternal and infinite and unchangeable Jehovah God who is so holy that in his presence and not just Isaiah, John John the divine, John who, who, who says the disciple whom Jesus loved there was an affection between this young man what was John at the time? maybe 17, 18 a young man and, and the Lord Jesus Christ, there was an affection between the one and, and the other. And so we know that he, 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 he laid against him uh, on the couches, the feeding couches in the dining room. He, he, lent on his, he, 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 he lent himself upon his breast that there was a friendship. There was a love. There was a fatherly son uh, affection between the two. And yet, when this John meets the Lord in the vision in Revelation 1. He doesn't walk up to him and shake his hand or, or do anything in a pally way, way because the glory of Christ is revealed to him and he feels something of the holiness of Jesus and his reaction is to fall as one dead. Dead. For mine eyes have seen the Lord of hosts. It's the same reaction. The same merciful stretching out of the hands as well. We do need a fresh vision of the Lord. To remember that he is our dearest friend, but he is terrifyingly holy and righteous. And that way we must fear him and love him. That we must confess our sins like Isaiah did. 
that we must confess our sins, that we must confess our sinfulness and our backslidings before him so that he would cleanse us, so that he would strengthen us, so that he would prepare you for his service, that you can then hear and discern and be healed by the Lord by the Lord's mercy and by the blood of Jesus Christ may God bless his word uh, to your every heart this evening let us pray Lord we do thank thee for thy word and this revelation of Christ the glorious king whose train filled the temple and understanding that his desire for everyone that would call upon his name is that they would be holy as he is holy. Lord, thou knowest how strong the flesh can be and how easily we give it food and give it opportunity and allow it to live instead of crucifying it and mortifying its deed, its deeds. Lord, we pray tonight. We pray for grace from heaven and for the work of thy spirit to take each of us by the scruff of the neck to shake us of our slumber and self-righteousness that we would have some understanding of thy terrifying white-hot holiness that we would humble ourselves before thee knowing the uncleanness of our lips and receive the mercy and strength and cleansing from God. Will thou do so to thine own glory and for the good of thy people? For we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.